Welcome back to a Victory Tuesday episode of the Bluminati Podcast. I'm your host, Nathan Bond, joined alongside me as always, Seth Varnador, Robert Stieg. It's it been a little bit since we've had a Victory Tuesday, guys. How are we feeling after USF beats Howard 42 to 20? On top of the world. Nothing, nothing could bring me down right now, Nathan. It's, you know, a win is always good, you know, and you ignore some of the bad stuff that happens during that win. So just got to live in ignorance every once in a while. It's all right. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, let's kind of jump into it. Jam-packed show as uh, we want to recap Howard. We're going to recap the week two of the Daily Stampede USF Fantasy Football League. Mm -hmm. Um, And we'll preview uh, the number, what, 2018? 18. 18 Florida Gators. Uh, who USF plays at 7 p.m. in the swamp, Ben Hill Griffin Stadium. Mr. Two Bits, is that still a thing? Did they yeah, stop I mean, doing that? They, yeah, they do like a celebrity, Mr. So, like a tennis national champion, I think, is the Mr. Two Bits this week. So, it's like an honorary thing now. Okay. Well, good for that. Only only pregame, not through the stadium like that old guy used to run around like a maniac (laughs) (laughs) all game long. His cardio is unbelievable. Unreal. Uh, We'll hopefully see Albert and Alberta. I would assume they'll be out and about. Uh, You know, I think more positively, I doubt anyone will uh, die of heat stroke at at a 7 p.m. kick, unlike uh, the 2010 edition of this game where uh, it was bad. It, like Florida State the year prior was really, really hot. By all accounts, 2010 in the swamp, just there was there was nothing quite like it. That was, and we'll get into that um, later. The SEC network, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, for this game. Um, so I I don't really know. We're Seth and I, we've we're credentialed <laughs> media, so we'll be we'll be sitting pretty in the press box. Yeah, that's a journal- um, journalist with a capital J. Big old capital J right there uh, as we bring you all the coverage from the swamp. And we're bringing Morgan along, so we'll get pictures from the swamp, which is going to be awesome. Uh, always excited to check out what she can do uh, with the camera. But let's let's jump back. Let's, you know, I know Bob Shoup hates it when we talk. We're like three days into prep for Florida. Why are we talking about the game prior? So uh, let's jump right into it. USF beats Howard 42 to 20. Um, forgettable first half would be fair. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, yeah. Pretty good showing, I thought, overall from the offense. The uh, defense, mostly a forgettable game, I think. So, but uh, on the whole, definitely a forgettable first class, uh, first half there. Yeah, the Bulls took a 14 7 lead into halftime in a game where they were favored by 39 and a half points. And uh, it didn't look pretty. It, it, it didn't look pretty at times. Uh, the Bulls, you know, tried something different. Jeff Scott said in his press conference on Tuesday, uh, you know, Howard really liked uh, to press their corners and jump hitches and stuff. So they went with the double move, except Howard didn't show uh, press coverage. And uh, Gary Bohan just kind of tossed up a pick there because that was the play called. And um, I'm Ron Burgundy on the scripted place to start the game. <laughs> I mean, it, you know, worst case scenario, you think, all right, I'm giving my guy a shot. So, and not not a worst, not a bad play, bad result, but not necessarily a terrible call to start the game. Want to be aggressive, especially no. if they've shown you that look. 
And then you, I think you got to feel that, okay, whatever. If, if they're playing in coverage, I'm my best receiver is one-on-one with one of their corners. We should win that. So I think it's all right. It's just, a, it's a fine call. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, it really was mitigated by uh, former USF bull Larry Scott uh, kind of turtling there on fourth and two from the plus 43 on the ensuing drive and punting the ball away. Not really. Uh, I mean, you had the bulls on their heels. You had the bulls fans puckered like nobody's business uh, in the stands wondering, oh, my God, what's going to happen? And you let them off the hook. Uh, and, you know, eventually USF kind of wore down that vaunted Howard defense. And I think they scored six touchdowns on eight possessions after the first quarter um, where they were shut out. It was seven, nothing Howard after the first quarter. And everybody's like, Oh my God, this cannot be happening. This cannot be happening. Us three were in the press box. Um, I won't throw anyone under the bus with who's in the press box, but there was a lot of snickering going on during the first quarter. Uh, We may have been a part of that. Well, more uh I mean you gave me the you you gave me free reign on Twitter at that I point. I did. <laughs> you you kind of you knew what you were getting yourself into and I, I I let it fly. Um but yeah it was a you could cut the tension in the press box with a with a hot with the cold buttered knife. Like it didn't even require much. It was just no one wanted to really say anything. Um some people were making some remarks, but it was just, uh, we were all kind of, I don't want to say in stunned disbelief because that implies that we didn't think that this could happen. Um, (laughs) (laughs) we were all in kind of like, is, is is it, is it going to happen? Yeah. I was, I was in a mode of kind of, Oh no, just kind of a, this is this, uh, this is pretty rough start here in a game. You thought you'd kind of come out and you're hoping you just come out and roll early, kind of watch the taste of the last week out of your mouth. And then it just kind of lingered for a quarter. And you're like, Oh my gosh, is this, is this team just kind of snake bit? You know, you try to be aggressive on the first throw, you throw a pick, uh, you know, that kind of stuff. And uh, you know, you got four starters out, which shouldn't matter, but still four starters out that are guys that have probably gotten the most reps in practice on a new defense they're out so you it's it's you're just like oh my gosh this can't happen right and they turned it around uh especially offensively you saw them turn it around but yeah the start was a little uh i think we had a uh a butthole puckering scale we did and it was in full effect that first quarter yeah i mean deep into the second quarter quite frankly until they kind of started to write the ship and uh even though you know howard wasn't scoring there was a lot of self self-inflicted wounds a lot of uh drives deep into usf tor- territory that uh resulted in turnovers um the double reverse kind of comes to mind that really killed a pretty good drive for howard at that up to that point on the, on the usf 20 yeah and you know Credit to to the Bulls where where it's due. Uh, they forced three turnovers and scored three touchdowns off of those three turnovers, and that's what you know alleged and supposed good teams are supposed to do against bad teams is cash in on the mistakes of the opposition. We've seen it for two and a half years uh, going the other way, so it was nice for for a change to see you know USF actually take control and take command and, and really use those turnovers as a springboard because they looked dead in the water. Uh, prior to that first fumble, um, who and then it was uh, Jaron Mangum punches it in from a yard out, uh, two yards out, and then uh, Mikey Dukes get the, gets the second one after the double reverse. 
I think Tamarcus Simpson forces that second fumble. Um, Rashawn Yates recovers it and actually picks up a you know a few yards on the on the fumble return as well, kind of setting you up up with uh, some good field position. Kind of flips the field a little bit, flips momentum going into halftime. It was good to see them kind of cash in there. Yeah, and maybe maybe there's a little catharsis in kind of that tougher start. You kind of get over the hump there. Maybe they're thinking a little bit like, oh no, here we go again. You know, you know, I'm sure they're coming in the game like we're gonna go stutter, go on the first play. We're throwing it to Weaver. He's gonna catch a touchdown. We're starting, fa-. and then it starts with an interception. And I'm sure some of those guys are like, oh my gosh, are you serious? Like again with this? The first plays of the games this year have not been kind. So uh, if they if they get a stop on on first down this next game, it's like a big W. Uh, but so maybe there's like a little bit of tightness in the players too, and kind of once they score that first touchdown, maybe that was kind of like okay. We're fine. Just play. And, and that was a little bit of a catharsis from them maybe there. And then they seem to play re- much better after that first touchdown. Yeah. Um, six rushing touchdowns for the Bulls. It was the first time they had done that in a game since 2003. Um, I think Andre Hall was on that team. I think Markwell Blackwell was the quarterback that year. Or it could have been the year after him. Um so pretty, pretty impressive. It's been a long time since they, I mean, they've had some really dominating rushing performances numbers wise, you know, Temple last year, basically the entire uh, 2016, 2015, 2017 run, but with, you know, Quentin Flowers, Marlon Mack, um, that era. Uh, so it was good to see them kind of punch it in um, on the flip side. Uh, USF still doesn't have a passing touchdown this season. Um, Gary Bohan has thrown two interceptions. Uh, one, one, not his fault, one 50, 50 ball. So it's, you know, he's still making the right decisions. Um, you know, I, you know, as tongue in cheek kind of did the blind resume, uh, test for, you know, QB one, QB two, and, and they were Anthony Richardson, who's completed 52% of his passes this season and has not thrown a touchdown and has two interceptions. And I believe one of them was taken back for a touchdown last week. One was taken. Yeah, one with one was taken to like the six yard line. Kentucky punched in a touchdown. The other one was taken back for a touchdown. So, a game you lose by ten, you basically gave up fourteen on interceptions. So, basically, essentially, passing wise, you know, by the numbers because we all know numbers never lie. They're the same quarterback. I didn't add the rushing stats because then Anthony Richardson would. Uh, he's got three rushing touchdowns and like 140 yards. And uh, Gary Bohannon, I think has like 14 rushing yards uh, for the season. Um, They really haven't used him in that way quite yet. Maybe they were, maybe they were saving it up for Florida. We'll get into it as we preview Florida, but other than the slow start and finally figuring it out ish in the second half, at least offensively, was there anything that you guys took from the game that, is good or bad going into Florida on Saturday? I, I think so. The, go ahead, Steve. Go ahead. I uh, cut you off once. Yeah, no, you're good. It's all it's all fine. Uh, mine's kind of quick. I mean, the to credit where credit is due, they made the adjustments when they needed to to put themselves in the best position to win the game. The first couple drives, they were very heavy. It, it seemed like the game plan for them was we're going to out physical Howard because we had the bigger offensive line. You know, we have you know, the, the blocking, we had the tight ends that can do that there. And so not to, you know, pound up the middle, but they were going with Jared Mangum for the first couple of drives and trying to get him in space. And then, you know, I, I think after that first quarter and after that Jimmy Horn pop pass, uh, especially they were like, Oh, we also have 
two, well, technically three of the fastest players on the field at any particular time. If you put Jimmy Horn, Choffrey Brown and um, Brian Batie out there and then Mikey Dukes as well to, to no avail. So they start running outside and they made the adjustments on offense that they really needed to, to get it done. And then defensively, you know, you could talk about the struggles that they had. I'm going to look at the rosy side of things. There was a lot of bend, don't break in the defense. And yes, you should be able to get three and outs and really stuff it to a team. But there was a lot of times where, you know, those long sustained drives ended up with nothing. And, you know, the team could have just folded over. I mean, all of last year, anytime any team had an ounce of success on first or second down, it was going to result in a touchdown. You know, against Howard, again, weaker opponent, they were able to get a little bit of a drive going and then were able to get stops. There is, I, I think Parker's stats show that on first and second down, they were getting really good stops. It was just on third down, Shuplex to get aggressive. Howard saw that. They did a lot of underneath screens, um, you know, between where the safety and a blitzing linebacker would be. And that that's what killed USF for a little bit. If they even, you know, found that out earlier, on like one or two other drives, they probably don't score 20 points, really. Yeah, my, my takeaway from the game, uh, offensively, it's that they're, they're pretty, I think they're close in the passing game. They're just just still kind of fine-tuning that last little bit. And then I think they'll be pretty good in the passing game. Um, it was good to see Batie get some touches on the outside, let him run. He did a great job setting up his block on that. Uh, I think it was just an outside zone. He does a great job setting up his block, cutting back inside and, and taking it to the house. So they blocked it up well, but he did a really good job with his cut at the end too, kind of setting up the blockers. And we'll show that tomorrow in the film room. Uh, but defensively, my takeaway was kind of that this is not, it's going to take some time to fix some of the stuff from last year. It's not going to be a quick fix. And I think the matchup with Florida is not a particularly good one for what Florida likes to do and what Florida does best, uh, which is run the ball. I think, this USF front was a little more disrupted, but they still showed at times. They still got gashed at times and were misaligned at times and had some issues with some formational stuff that I think Florida will show them as well. So I wouldn't expect the defense to get totally fixed anytime soon, but I think the offense is moving in the right direction. You just kind of hope you have the defense kind of ready to go, fully healthy, everybody in the right spots by the time you hit conference play. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, that's what I'm thinking about. You mentioned it. Um, Brian Petit had a really good game, seven carries, 105 yards, that 60-yard touchdown run that basically iced the game for the Bulls. Uh, I think after the first couple of drives, I think Travis Trickett kind of recognized, noticed, adjusted to, okay, we're gashing them on the outside. I mean, they kind of had success with it versus BYU, but the game was so far gone, you can't, you can't really establish that. But on Saturday, they were able to get a lot of outside zone, a lot of outside runs that were, you know, really good. They, you know, Jimmy Horn, I think both of Jimmy Horn's uh, catches, air quotes, were pop passes, basically jets, jet sweeps, you know, that got around the corner and finished two catches, 52 yards, because they, they were able to get to the edge, use their speed. I think that's what's going to be the benefit for USF going forward. Maybe we, we probably don't see it versus Florida as successfully, but I think going forward, if they are able to establish the outside run a little bit more like they were able to, then I think maybe Jaron Mangum has a little bit more success up the middle. You know, even Mikey Dukes, one of his touchdowns was up the middle because they were able to spread them out and he was able to gash them. He's got enough quickness and agility to get inside and, uh, you know, 
cause some damage. I, I think they've, I mean, we've, we've said all off season that running back room is really talented. And so far they've proven, they've proven as much. And even, you know, the awesome feeling for, you know, K1 Powell, who, you know, first scrimmage last season, his true freshman year tears his ACL. He gets a, he gets into the end zone on, on Saturday. So it's just uh, overall, I really like where the running game has been. I mean, running the ball has always been kind of USF's bread and butter for, I can't remember the last time they really couldn't run the ball for a long straight. Like they've always been a very, historically speaking, very talented at running the ball. Uh, and it's just kind of carried over. It's been the passing that's been hit or miss for a lot of it. And it kind of sets up the failures uh, for the rest of the team, honestly. Um, but I think that's enough about Howard. Let's jump quickly into uh, the week two standings for the USF fantasy uh, football league that Seth uh, Stieg and I have uh, done um, in a shocking, shocking, shocking development. Uh, week two, let me pull up the numbers for you real quick. Um, I had them right here. Best of the rest. Let's So best of the rest actually won week two. So sorry, Stieg, you, you are still a loser. Yes. But you're not as much of a loser as uh, second loser. <laughs> yeah, not as uh, as Seth and uh, Nathan were. So best of the rest, you know, no quarterback. We get points when quarterbacks win. But Mikey Dukes for the second week in a row. Uh, Marion Dallas and Sean Atkins. Brad Cecil was the offensive lineman. Rashad Cheney was the D lineman. Uh, Devon Hicks. And then, you know, the, the player of the game defensively, I think, was, uh, you know, Jaden Curry, who I think finished with like nine fantasy points. In our scoring system, best of the rest one. Shockingly, Steve came in second um, for the week with a whopping 44.8 points. Um, Jaron Mangum's uh, 16.8 points really carried the day for him. But, you know, DJ Gordon had a good game for him, as well as uh, Tamarcus Simpson, who had the forced fumble as well to kind of help pad the stats there. Uh, and then uh, followed by uh, me at 42 points and then Seth at 38. So tight week, very tight week. Uh, best of the rest. I think it's going to be very competitive the rest of the year. Um, impressed that Mikey Dukes has been the running back uh, for best of the rest. And then Devon Hicks and Rashad Cheney has been uh, the defensive lineman and linebackers for the best of the rest uh, for the season. We'll put up the numbers on Twitter after uh, the podcast, but uh, pretty exciting. I, I've really enjoyed doing this. I'll be honest, kind of following along, you know, we, uh, Demontre, I think that the, really the true star is Demontre Jacobs getting a, an offensive PBU on a potential interception uh, that I think USF ended up scoring on that drive. So, I mean, shout out to him, Seth's offensive lineman, uh, Trey Jacobs, sure. saving points and getting uh, USF points as well on the same drive. That's that's a Piesman Trophy winning play right there. That is rip wow. rip Piesman Trophy. Um, but let's get let's jump into Florida. Uh, we've all been waiting for it. We've had this state circled for a while. Uh, the Bulls will travel up to Gainesville, up I seventy five, to a nice little two hour drive ish from my house to the stadium. Uh, Seth and I will be there as the Bulls try to compete with. The Florida Gators, who, as Jeff Scott put it, they're two or three plays away from being two and zero, and probably ranked top ten, right? Right. Yeah, they're also like two or three plays away from being zero and two. 
there's also that. There's been a really thin. They've played two thin margin games. So, um, but the schedule, their schedule has been tough. Um, you see, uh, Bruce. I think it's Framo, but he's a site BCF Toys. He's got a bunch of advanced stats, and he kind of ranks where different teams, different levels of teams would be if they, how many losses they would have based on your schedule. Uh, for the elite team, so like, what if an elite team played the schedule? Florida's schedule is the sixth hardest, and for a good and average team, it's the second hardest in the country so far. So, um, they're not, they have not had, uh, they kind of flip flopped the first game. The offense played really well against Utah, but the Utah defense, I don't think, is great. And then you kind of got the opposite last week where Kentucky's offense is not great, but their defense is pretty good. Mm-hmm. And you saw kind of that Florida's offense played well game one, defense played well game two, haven't quite put it together yet. Um, so that's what they'll be hoping to do, uh, with USF coming into town. Um, but and it should be, an, it should be an interesting game. I'm really interested to see how USF plays Florida, uh, especially on defense. How are they, how do they do that? Are they going to try to play like Kentucky and be kind of aggressive and really top down with the safeties or is, is Florida going to be able to throw them out of that? I don't know. It should be, it should be an interesting matchup though. And then on the other side of the ball is, or is USF going to be able to run the ball and and then can they get themselves into third and manageables, which I think for in the first game, Florida was really good offensively on third downs. I think around, you know, 65%, something like that. And their average third down distance was five yards against Kentucky. It was seven yards and they only, they converted like three of 12 or something like that. And, and USF has been really bad on both sides of the ball on third down so far this year. And that's kind of a theme yep. carrying over from last year as well. And, and really, really, the last few years, they've been pretty bad on third downs on both sides of the ball. I think going even going back to 2019, yep. they were they were bad on third downs. So that's that'll probably be a big uh, determining factor in the game. Is if you know if you saw last week, App State was like crazy hot on third downs, went like seven to twelve, and Texas A&M only ran 38 plays because they didn't get the ball very much because uh, App State was able to hold it. So third downs will be big this week, but. What helps you there is also gaining yards on first and second down. So no negative plays, that kind of thing. But that'll be an interesting matchup, I think, schematically. Yeah, I think, you know, you kind of flip-flop BYU and Florida here where I think BYU's offensive line is probably the best one that USF will face. I think Florida's defensive line is probably going to be the best one that they face all season. Uh, Just kind of talent up and down the the lineup, the the 400-pound defensive tackle. Uh, What's his name? Des Watson. He's Des, an armwood. He's an armwood kid, I think. I mean, for I mean, I hope Brad Cecil put out an ad on Tuesday, uh hawking his uh Hooters NIL deal. Brother, you better eat up. You need you need all the protein you can get, man, because that is that is a hefty guy. That is that is me plus like Steeg. They'll put uh yeah, and they'll put him next to the, uh Dexter, who's like, you know, over three hundred pounds and Six foot six. They've got some beef up there. They don't have a ton of depth though. So um that's something to monitor for them as the season goes on. Maybe even this game if USF can get some tempo, but that's the other side of it too. Florida likes to run tempo on offense. So uh and motion and shifts a ton. So I think you're gonna see a similar offense. Maybe not using as much 12 personnel, but you're gonna see similar style to BYU uh yeah. offensively. And that's the one thing USF didn't really have to compete. With last week with Howard going up tempo, they they were more than happy than bleed to bleed yeah. the clock. Uh, the ball and, for like forty minutes, didn't they? Yeah, so, pretty close to it. So that's going to be something where 
if Bob Shoup and the defensive, you know, team can't get the calls in quick enough, that's you're bound to just repeat what happened in, in game one. And um, I, I kind of talked to the guys about this before we started, but I think there was one, it kind of ties into, you know, Howard plus going into Florida. Um, there was one quote from Jeff Scott's post-game press conference on Saturday that kind of, it may have been the most truth he's ever spoken out loud about this team um, that I may have ever heard. I'm going to just read it verbatim. Like, quote, unquote, Jeff Scott, I wrote it down. Uh, this was uh, actually Bulls 247. Will Turner uh, actually asked the question um, kind of regarding, you know, does the wind feel less great because you didn't, you know, handily beat this team? And I think this was probably the most truthful and honest thing Jeff Scott said about his roster. Uh, it starts, uh, I think, where, we're, where we are right now, we need to win. I don't believe in if you don't win by 40, then you didn't play well. We're not there as a program yet. We're still learning how to win games. And I mean, oh, I heard that. And I've listened to it like three or four times uh, since Saturday. And it's like that, that is it. They're not there yet as a program. And it kind of ties into some stats that we were looking into over the weekend and, uh, one of our one of our buddies in, in Slack, I don't know if he wants to, wants to be named, but one of our guy one of our sources in Slack kind of broke it down for us. So this is Jeff Scott's FBS tenure at USF after, during the first quarter. First quarter stats: Jeff Scott at USF first FBS opponents. Uh, USF's being outscored eleven point five to three point seven five in total twenty games. So twenty games, 2020, 2021. So far in 2022, 20 games total. Uh, they've led in two games. They've been tied in five and trailed in 13. Okay. In half of Jeff Scott's FBF, FBS games at USF, they have trailed by two scores after the first quarter. That's 10 times USF has trailed by more than 10 points after the first quarter of a game. Now, Seth, what did you say in the press box on Saturday about this exact thing? <laughs> I, I, I say a lot of things up there. I, don't, I, I can't. I can't recall exactly. You get me. You get me six Diet Cokes deep, and I'll, I'll, I'm liable to say anything. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. I don't know. Enlighten me. Do you? You? Uh, I, I take it you remember. I do. Maybe remember. I can expand. I do I remember. What, I mean, you, you put it in Slack today again. Uh, oh would you yeah. Feel yeah, right, it, it, right. you you feel there there seems to be a lot of games in this tenure that you feel better if you just would flip the second half in the first half or the second quarter in the first quarter. It's it just seems like a lot of times you you know by the end of the first quarter that the game's over. There's been not all the games, but there's been a few where you 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 more than a few, I guess that you feel like okay, the game's already over and it's you're not even out of the first quarter. And then you you fight back in the second and you make it look a little more respectable. And then you fight in the second half. And it's like, if you just flipped it, you'd feel a lot better about it. The result wouldn't change, but it would make you feel better. Uh, but there's definitely, um, there seems to be a pattern of slow starts. And that shouldn't be an issue in some of these games where you're having them. So that's not great. Uh, not a great pattern, but maybe that's something they can get fixed. 
the two score thing I think is easy to to explain away because the defense has been so bad. They probably get <laughs> they probably get two possessions in the first quarter on average. So if you go down to score and then you don't score on offense, it's, you're you're down two scores already. So do you do you can you name off the top of your head the two games they were leading in? Do you have guesses? I'm gonna. I mean, it's four to uh, No. Oh wait, no, that doesn't nope. count. FPS. Um, my guesses are Memphis, Memphis 2020, and no, I don't think we maybe Temple, Temple last year. Maybe Temple last year. That would. Those would be my two guesses. Yeah, those are the more. I thought. More than I thought we were leading East Carolina. I thought we were losing to Temple until Chris Carter did that. Uh, miraculous Chris Carter thing. Oh, we should have looked this up beforehand. That would have been really smart of us. Vamp. <laughs> um so it that's kind of the frustration with uh, you know and Roni I think he kind of it's almost like he's not a good head coach and that's the frustration with a lot of fans right it's why does this keep happening why are in half of your games that you really kind of get paid to coach and be decent in are you getting blown out before the games really even started and that I think that's the frustration for a lot of fans, and uh, to see it again, you know, we, we I think we've we've harped on it, but now you're staring down the barrel of this Florida team who's actually pretty good, and I think that I think they're ahead of schedule of probably where a lot of people thought after the transition from Dan Mullen to Billy Napier, and now you, you've got to contain this this threat at quarterback Anthony Richardson who tore this basically this exact same team up last year. I mean, he, he pulled his hamstring on his 80 yard touchdown run. Like, <laughs> like it, I, I, I worry that another showing like this on Saturday is just, you're going to be too far gone from the fan base, regardless of what happens at Louisville, even though we're still not sure about Louisville. I think we'll learn more on Friday when they play Florida state than we have their first two games. I think Syracuse might actually be pretty, pretty good. They, uh, I mean, it was only UConn, but they dispatched UConn really easily. Um, and their quarterback looked really good doing so. And Sean Tucker, who maintained, I still maintain, is the best follow on Twitter right now. Just the way he tweets, it is like he's a robot. Um, it's awesome. I, I've i heard rumors that it's actually his dad tweeting from his account. But until we figure that out, until I know for certain, I'm just going to pretend that Sean Tucker tweets like he's a 50-year-old robot. All right, so update. Uh, one game was Houston last year. Go Bulls? Uh, it was not Memphis. Oh, right, because we had – yeah. It was not I Memphis. was trying to find that. It was not Memphis uh, in 2020. And it was not Tulane last year. That was a 28-7 to game after one quarter, in case you forgot how terrible that was. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my Lord. <laughs> Um, and, and praying for redemption, not a physical team starts in practice. Jeff Scott said on Tuesday that they went good versus good early in practice. Uh, they're going to be doing that this week to maybe hopefully jumpstart instead of going into special teams right away to get a jump start, get the juices flowing, something. They've got to change something to start these games because that has been the MO for Jeff Scott during his entire tenure. It's what we were worried about with even the FCS games, right? They're real sluggish anyway. And now you're getting into actual opponents and you're still, you're still doing this kind of thing. So that's, that's what I worry about. Um, Steve, you've been pretty 
positive throughout your tenure here at the Daily Stampede. Um, probably uh, annoyingly so. Uh, how are you feeling after two weeks as we head into Florida? I'm really just asking this so Seth can look it up before I ask him another question. Damn, because I was really about to plead the fifth here. Now I have to fucking. You got to answer, man. And, now you got to answer. Um, you got to vamp, my guy. Yeah, I mean, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do this in one of two ways. I'll, I'll, I'll start with a negative for once in my life, and I'll kind of transition into you know a different discussion that kind of ties into that. Um, I, I, I made it abundantly clear to both of you that the the switch flipped for me this game in particular against Howard. You know, the entire time, you know, I and I, again, I'm not, I'm not big on excuses, but I do live in the reality of saying, hey, yeah, like in 2020, we don't have a shot against Notre Dame. So, you know, the people that were upset about that loss, like, you know, shove that out the window. And then like last year, like, you know, we still like the growing pains that Jeff Scott in, in, like inherited. We can't discredit that. We can't discredit that when Jeff Scott took over in 2020 and going into 2021, he had an incredibly toxic locker room that was just being eaten, eaten alive from the inside out and needed to be cleaned out and refreshed. And so you have to bring in guys that, you know, aren't up to cuff and you have to take those lumps. And I, I mean, again, not to make the excuses of it, there, there isn't a coach in the world that could win probably more than four games for USF in 2020. And I'm being generous with that too. That team was devoid of talent. But to the point of where we're at currently, when you do bring in all these new players and, and influx all of this talent, and then you put in this all-in move to say, okay, we're all going all in. We're, you know, pushing all the chips in. That was the big thing. All in, all in, all in. And then you start off fight against BYU. Okay, BYU is a good team. BYU is a really good team. And they proved it now twice in two weeks that they can shut, they can close the door on a team early and they can win against a really tough Baylor team. Fine. We're not quite there yet. And we all can live in that reality. But when you start out as flat as you did against an FCS opponent where you desperately are in the need to win back the fans, that puts a bad taste in everyone's mouth. And like, yes, and this is kind of segueing into what I was, you know, kind of mentioned on, on Friday or on Saturday night late, you know, I don't have a problem with Jeff Scott and the team celebrating in a locker room and winning. They're a football team still. They work their asses off. That win counts as much as any other win this season when it comes to getting to a bowl game, that magic number of six that we've all been talking about. They're allowed to celebrate those wins. It's the shit that's been happening to start the game that's I'm starting to realize. And again, we talked about it in the Charlie Strong era. The slow started, you know, San Jose State. We all kind of were like, ah, oh, you know, new coach inheriting a, a team and trying to gel with them and everything like that. That became the trend for Charlie Strong. I'm starting to think these slow starts are are not just a you know microcosm of okay the team's new okay they're still gelling together this might just be you know the preparation that they go into it and you know what happens during the week and so it, it flipped on me I I I I don't have much belief left in what the team can do um, frankly it, it's it's you know for everyone who saw me I'm the biggest apologetic when it comes to coaches and I, I even said it you have to consider tarmacking a guy when you come out that flat against an FCS team 
who is 0-2 and struggled to move the ball in their first two games, and you had all the film and you had all the preparation, you had to score first. You had to convince yourself early, and you didn't do that. Yeah. So uh, based on my research, I could only find one game, actually, where they had a lead after the first quarter. Oh, Lord. Since 2020. And it was last year against Houston when they had a kickoff return for a touchdown. Uh, two Brian Petit touchdowns in the first quarter. I th- think that's the only one based on my quick research. Mm, we'll have to get the stats and info people so on here. Even worse the next week. <laughs> <laughs> oh, talk Lord. Yeah. Um, man, Steve, I, I, I hear you. I feel you. I think uh, I, I have been in that boat, right, where – you, you want to believe, right? You want to believe that things are going to change. And uh, I got, I got, man, I'll tell you what, man, I put my hand way too close to the stove in 2019 and got incinerated. <laughs> right. And it turned into, okay, this is, this is not going to happen. And I, that Charlie strong needs to go. Uh, article was up real quick after, because you figured, all right, this isn't going to happen. This is not the answer anymore. And I think we we were sold the bill of goods in 2019 that thing things are different things are different, and I mean we've been kind of sold a bill of goods in in 2022 that things are going to be different things are going to be different but the same issues are cropping up and now there's the new issue of uh, I mean even I don't want to give credit to Glenn Spencer but even with Glenn Spencer they seemed like they got aligned they were just bad right is that fair. And- like at least they were they were in the position to make the play. They were just not good enough to make the play. Is that fair? Right. I think it's fair. And uh, and this is and uh, there's I think there's a there's a there's a mix. A little bit of a mix. Maybe 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 the two game was a, a side. I think they were in line. I think they were aligned pretty well, but some of the calls they were aligned in were not very good. <laughs> so right. I, I guess but in the calls that were when the calls that were called. Or in the plays that were I think called, they got a lot. They were at least but... they were at least aligned, right? That yeah. I mean, that's step one. Was it the best play to call? Hmm. No, that, probably not. They were aligned. Yes, they lined up correctly. They lined up. They lined up very correctly, play. giving a ten-yard cushion on a third down and five. <laughs> yeah. They were in the right position. They did exactly the what play. the call said, and so correct. <laughs> now you're adding this new kind of misalignment thing where it you thought it would be a little bit better against an FCS opponent and it still kind of wasn't. Uh, and you didn't really figure, you didn't really get tested with up tempo against an FCS team. So you don't even know if that part of the misalignment issues were solved. There were still guys out of gaps. They were still, uh, you know, inside shading inside the tight end instead of being on the outside shoulder, things like that, that will get you absolutely eviscerated by better teams. See BYU two weeks ago. So I've, kind of laid out this entire season for the bulls prior to prior to, you know, the BYU game was, I believe things are different. I, you're absolutely right. They they brought in a bunch of talent, but until you prove it on the field, I don't want to hear, I don't want to hear a thing about this team's different. This team's different. It's been all, it's been, it's been all speak quite frankly to the fan base for five years. Right. I mean, so at what point, like how many times can we keep touching that flame before like, all right, is it really different? And it it starts on Saturday. You're you're not going to win, but show that you can at least compete for 19 minutes. I'm interested to see 
this team in conference play. I still think I I think I as as it sounds I think they're better this year than they were last year. I think the defense is better. Uh, as bad as it looked in the first game, they uh, at times made BYU work for it. Where last year it was just like explosive bomb, explosive bomb, explosive bomb. Um, so I, I, I want to see them in conference play uh, when it's a little bit uh, more e. Now, what scares you about that is you had a town advantage last week and you didn't come out. You you end up winning by you know three three scores, so that's great, but uh, not. It didn't feel great, and you started out really slow against a team you have a talent advantage of that you should be able to roll. So, but that happens in college football sometimes, right? Um, but I want to see. I want. I kind of want to see what happens this year because it could. In my, you know, in my when we were doing our preseason looks at over unders, I had them starting one and four. They're on pace, or one and three. One and three, rather, right? So. They're on pace, so that doesn't really change much to me. Um, I think they're they're. I think there's potential for the offense to to be pretty good once the passing game gets kind of in sync. You've got guys, you've got a bunch of guys that if you get them the ball in space, they can make stuff happen against just about anybody you play. Like you know, I think Horn and Batie and guys like that, you get them in space with just against just about anybody. Uh, and they've got a chance. One, if you get them one on one, they've got a chance to make something happen. So you just got to get those guys in space as much as possible, and and then defensively, hoping you can pick something up. But uh, once we get to East Carolina, I think we'll have a pretty good idea of where this thing's headed. And after all the changes that have made been made every year, it seems like uh, you know there's something something's got to get fixed, right? So. Right. Uh, the the other thing that you know, some of this stuff could have been fixed at the beginning, depending on some personnel moves made at the beginning. So <laughs> that, um, that one of your it, bigger issues may have been fixed right away and fall in your lap, and you kind of go with another option. Uh, um, do we want to do we want to save that hypothetical for maybe down the road? That's a good one. Uh, I mean, uh, let's. I'm gonna. I mean, the the quarterback hypothetical is the one I'm talking about specifically. Is that what I mean? There's the overarching hypothetical. <laughs> there's that too, but I think um, I think we saved that until. I don't like think people are ready for that. Yeah, yeah, I don't think you know. I don't think people are ready for that. Um, yeah, but I, I think we've kind of talked about uh, the quarterback one, right? I mean, former. I mean, can we? We can talk about it, right? Yeah, we've talked about it before. I think. Have we named names? I think so. Okay. Well, you know what? If we have, it's not good. It's not breaking news. It's not. I don't think. It's, I think we've kind of mentioned it. Yeah. I mean, the guy's not even playing college football anymore. So I think yeah, he's he's he's, he's right. graduated now. Yeah. So former Valdosta State quarterback uh, Rogan Wells, who was coached by former USF offensive coordinator Kerwin Bell at Valdosta State, where they won the national championship, was planning to come to USF in 2020. Uh, obviously. Charlie Strong was fired. Kerwin Bell was not retained. Jeff Scott was hired. Rogan Wells still wanted to come to USF, and he was planning yeah, on coming to USF. Yeah, they. Uh, Kerwin told Jeff Scott, "Hey, this kid will still come here. He still wants to come here." And uh, Jeff Scott chose Cade Fortin instead. That was his handpicked guy. So uh, Rogan Wells turned out to be probably one of the better 
FCS quarterbacks. He was second. He was second in the FCS Heisman. Probably should have won it as a sophomore. Um, when they won the national championship, he was a quarterback as a sophomore, I believe. May have been a redshirt freshman, but uh, big kid, big athletic kid. Um, I think he probably could have played at this level. Um, and there were some other moves that were going to be made if that staff had stayed on that probably would have helped that year in the future. Who knows, just because of uh, how volatile recruiting can be. But um, he was definitely a guy that wanted to come here from what we've heard. And it was kind of like, uh, I'm going to go with my guy, Fortin, bring Fortin in. And we all know how that turned out. Um, he's now starting at Arkansas, right? He's at Arkansas. That's correct. Um, he's not starting. Oh, damn. Yeah. But, uh, and Jordan McLeod's starting at Arizona. He's not. And Jaron Williams is starting some, somewhere. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, I don't, I don't, <laughs> I don't believe so. So that, if, if you get that position now, it's not to say that Rogan Wells comes in as, unbelievable but uh he won a national championship as a starter he took a team that hadn't won a conference title in a long time uh in one year as a starter and then they won some games last year at western carolina when he was back with uh uh Kerwin and and that group they won some games they probably shouldn't have and were pretty good on offense last year uh despite being the first year in a program that had been pretty bad on offense the year before so um he was a pretty good player he probably could have been helpful at worst it gives you a, a veteran presence that's won some games and has some skill and athleticism in the room. Right. But you go with a younger guy, maybe more years. Um, and and that's kind of a – I think that's kind of a miss. And I think if you hit on quarterback early, that helps some of your problems, stabilizes you a little bit, whereas you just had this uh, this carousel. I think our buddy Will called it carousel. I think it's a good – this carousel of uh, of just different guys every year, every yep. three games. Yeah, some stability there could have helped early on in the program, but that's a that's a hypothetical. There's other ones that we can get to later in the year. But yeah, that's that was kind of a one that pops into the head immediately, yeah. just because it seems like they have a quarterback now, but it took them a while to get there. And you know, I'll blindly trust Kerwin Bell because he was all over Tank Dell and he was all over Brian Batie, and Brian Batie is an All American, so I kind of yeah. trust his quarterback pick. Um, right. Could have had Tank I mean, Dell and Batie on the same team. That'd been pretty fun. Still not. I'm. I'm over it. I'm over it. I'm over it. I'm fine. 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 Um, let's let's kind of dig into Florida a little bit, Seth. Uh, so we know all about Anthony Richardson. Uh, Jeff Scott talked about it on on Tuesday during the press conference. Uh, Travis Etienne's little brother, Trevor is a pretty talented running back as a true freshman for the Gators Had a pretty good game against Kentucky um, outside of him. And you can talk about him. Who should USF fans be genuinely worried about uh, on Saturday besides yeah. everyone? <laughs> so I, on offense, Florida's best units are probably their offensive line and they may be missing their right tackle. Michael Tarquin, he uh, heard, I think he probably, they call it a lower leg injury. I'm guessing it's an ankle. Um, he kind of fell out of his stance one time going back in pass protection. So maybe he tweaked it then. So he's, uh, we'll find out tomorrow if he's playing on the defense side of Ventral Miller, uh, the linebacker also left the game with injury. So we'll find out tomorrow if he's playing as well. He's probably the best player on defense, but offensively, the line is pretty good. They push, they ran for 280 yards on Utah, kind of pushed them around pretty good. Um, Kentucky 
loaded the box on was a li- lot more physical than Utah. They didn't play as well, but I think Utah is probably a lot more physical than USF up front. So the running back group is also pretty good. You've got ETN. He's kind of he came into the season kind of the third guy. Um, Naquan Wright was the first stringer kid from Miami. Um, he's kind of been passed up, it seems like, by ETN and Montreal Johnson, who transferred from Louisiana with Napier as a freshman. He played as last year as a freshman. Um, I think he might have led the team in rushing yards, but really productive year as a freshman. Napier kind of thought they got lucky to get him at Louisiana, so when he wanted to transfer, he took him. And those hit, uh, Johnson and ETN are probably the two best backs at Florida. And I think they're going to – I would imagine they're going to lean on USF a ton with up front, then try to hit some play-action shots. Um, best receiver is probably Ricky Pearsall, uh, transfer from Arizona State. He wears number one. He's a good slot receiver. I'm not sure how much wiggle he has, but he's been able to get open kind of against everybody. And then you got Xavier Henderson. Is, is, I think he had a big play last year against USF. He wears number three. And Justin Shorter wears four. Those are kind of the receivers that are at the top of the heap for them. Obviously, none of them have caught a touchdown yet. Uh, but I think I would guess Florida leans on the run heavily on offense and tries to just lean on USF and mix in some play action and some tempo to try to get some guys open and make some easy throws to ease Richardson kind of back in after he had a really probably the worst game of his career mm-hmm. uh, against Kentucky. He was under 50%, wasn't he? He was like nine. He was bad. Now, he has, there were some drops and there were there was some issues. I think he was under four. I think he was in the 40s in terms of passing percentage. Um, best you know in USF's defense? Linebacker? Probably linebacker. I mean, most talented, I think. Probably linebacker. Most I mean, consistent, at least most consistent. Yeah. I mean, I, I, mean, I thought TJ Gordon played pretty well with uh, Antonio Greer out. Um, Jalen Schuler had a couple of splash plays uh, versus Howard. Uh, Dwayne Bowles is always kind of the consistent rock, I guess, um, there. Uh, yeah, I think it's linebacker. Um, but what I Florida think- likes to do is spread you out, get an empty and spread you out, and if kind of make you declare zone or man. So they'll try to get those linebackers out of the box and and make them play in coverage more or declare that they're coming and, and play man and – We've seen kind of USF bus coverage and man coverage a few times in the first two games. So I think it's going to be name tough. one time. Okay. Name four times. <laughs> uh, the old shallow routes undefeated. <laughs> um, so for uh, li- listen, I think uh, uh, stats of war. Um, he's got USF at a 5% chance of winning. Uh, if for that 5% chance, uh, under 5%, even better, uh, for that 5% chance to win, what does USF have to do? What, what you know, what unit on defense would they need to kind of attack? What battle do they, I mean, outside of the trenches, obviously, because every blah, 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 every game's won or lost in the trenches, we get it, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. I think you get if the, the USF's plan to win is to get up early, which as we just talked about, <laughs> maybe <laughs> may not may not be great, but uh, get up early and make Florida get them out of their run game, and and then hope you can get some turnovers in short fields and convert them into points. So, um, that I think that's that's the kind of if you can force Florida to throw the ball more. And and then they're they, they're not crazy explosive at receiver. That's kind of their big weakness on offense. Is they've got a couple guys that are pretty good route runners, but they're not like 
other world. They don't have any otherworldly athletes out there that are just going to run totally by you. They've got some guys that have some straight line speed, but it's not. It's not like you're playing, you know, Alabama and they got Jalen Waddle and and Devontae Smith or anything like that. It's um, USF's probably got more explosiveness at receiver than Florida does. If we're being truthful about it. So that'll be interesting to see if you can kind of shut down the run and make them throw and load up the box and they don't hit passes and you get some turnovers. So kind of the same formula Kentucky did, uh, but convert those short fields into touchdowns and then make Florida play from behind. I think that's how you win this game. If you're USF, I I think it'll be uh, easier said than done, but that's kind of the, that's kind of the idea. (laughs) As we, as we mentioned, fast starts don't seem to be uh, (laughs) uh, something we see a lot here. So. Yeah, and that that twenty four and a half point line for the Gators is is pretty juicy. Um, I, I, you, you'd have to give me a couple of drinks before I'm like, you know what? I think USF can cover that. Uh, <laughs> uh, I just I, there's just a whole bunch of red on this screen here. I mean, the one good thing uh, on first and second down offensively, they're pretty good. And then on first and second down defensively, they're pretty good. And then uh, third down, they forget how to play football on both sides of the ball. So that's that's an issue. Seth, what's what's the RROE? I, I forget. Uh, rush rate over expected. How much more often did you run than the average team in any given situation? Yeah, that makes sense. Then I was like, I don't recall USF having that much. I thought it was I thought it was a rushing statistic, but I thought it was something else. So. That that tracks with what I would expect. And, and the first down numbers you're seeing, first and second down, is how what percentage of your first downs do you get or give up on first and second down? So, so they don't give up a lot of first downs on first and second down defensively, but on third downs, they're really bad. Yes. One of the worst in the country. Yes. Uh, there's only, a, what, 132 FBS teams? 131, yeah, 131 and they're at 124. So <clears throat> near the bottom. Yes, on, and, uh, on, on, on both. But Florida, uh, Utah came in and converted a ton of third downs against them, and you kind of see that number still lingering in there as they've given up a ton of third downs. So Actually, correct me if I'm wrong on this, Seth, and, and this might be kind of uh, – Parker doesn't include FCS versus FBS games in his statistics. Doesn't he, he may not. Because um, I'm looking might at the be, zero. They might be FBS to FBS. So. I'm looking at the zero points per Eckle uh, for USF offense. And he also, and I think I, he also might filter out garbage time, which would filter out the entire yeah. USF scoring. Because <laughs> the, <next, laughs> the, the net points per drive on the USF side of things, the points per Eckle, like having that yeah. being zero is, is st- statistically – that's impossible when we just beat a team 40 by 22 points. Um, yeah, they don't. They, I, I, yeah, I think you're right. He doesn't include FCS games. And then also, I think he filters out garbage time. So once BYU got up 35 nothing, that's the game's in garbage time from there on. Right. So, so anything it, USF did after that doesn't, doesn't count on these. Yeah. And, and I think that's kind of the, the point of, uh, <laughs> which was early the in the second, which was early in <laughs> right. the first. <laughs> I think, uh, I think it was the USF baseball fans is, is, what did you learn more from? Was it the BYU game or the Howard game? And I said neither because I think the only thing we really learned was that, truthfully, was that we're worse than the twelfth best team in the country, but we're better than an zero and two F now zero and three FCS team on the talent side of things. So 
like all the right on the left side for USF. Like, I think a lot of it is like, yes, USF is very bad in many statistical categories, but it's not quite like deep red bad. Like there's still some semblance of an offensive pulse. And there is at least a little bit of a shred of a defense at times, but like for it to be like statistically like the bottom third in every single category, I that's probably not probably not true yet. No, they're better. Um, I can pull up. I was putting (laughs) together, I'm putting together a preview on the game. So I was pulling up some, uh, some numbers. So I have, I have some things where it's a little bit, it's a little bit kinder to USF. Uh, Let me see. While we're filling in the gap of time here. um, Yeah. Yeah. From from trivia. Uh, It's my new favorite shirt. We got a, we got to find new sponsors. And I think Bud Light could be a perfect sponsor for the, uh, the Illuminati podcast. No, I'm really angling for a Mick ultra sponsorship. Um, that's kind of my thing. I think a beer sponsorship would be good. It a beer. Yes. A beer sponsorship would be great. I will take it. Oh, here we go. All right. So this is a little bit, uh, this is just stuff I like to put together. Can you uh, zoom in a little bit more for the folks at home who have terrible eyes? Second try. Hence me. All right. Let's move over here a little bit. There we go. All right. So, <clears throat> uh, yeah, when you include the the both games, USF is actually 49th in the country in yards per play. One thing that uh, one thing that I think people didn't realize because all I heard after the game was USF needs to run the ball more. I think they averaged eight yards a rush. They averaged 11 yards a pass against Howard. So it didn't feel like it, but they were pretty effective throwing the ball as well. Uh, you see the available yard statistic is not kind to uh, really either team, but especially USF here and third downs are similar. Available yards is just basically if, if it's a hundred, if you pick up a hundred percent of available yards, you scored a touchdown. Uh, if you picked up zero, you didn't move the ball at all, right? So, right, and then you you kind of can factor that in with the average starting field position, which for both teams is not great. Average starting field position, USF about their own twenty four, Florida the the twenty three point four. So, so if you're picking up, you know, let's say you got seventy five yards, you got to go, and you're only picking up twenty five percent of that. Well, you're probably not scoring very much, right? Because you're probably, I don't, you're probably not getting even getting into field goal range. So that's kind of how you look at the available yards. So it's kind of one thing Florida's not done at all this year, though, is have explosive plays on offense. So if USF is kind of able to keep that going, I think that's another good metric for this game. If USF is able to limit the explosive plays. You know, I, I think it's something to be said when one team has played, you know, two top 20 teams and the other team has played a uh, a pretty good BYU team and then FCS team. So I think uh, I think they might get a few more explosive plays this week. Yeah, it's possible. Uh, it's, it, that might be top 10 BYU team by the end of this week. I think so, man. I, I, I'm excited to watch that Oregon game. I think that's that's pro, that's going to be the game of the week i know that miami texas a&m game was supposed to be the game but uh byu 
Oregon at Oregon with or Oregon's a three and a half point favorite, right? Or was BYU yeah, the three and a half? Oregon's a three and a half point favorite. Opened at I three, mean, moved to three and a half. Goodness gracious. Uh, if someone's out in Vegas, put a hundred bucks on BYU and uh, tell them uh, if you lose that, Steve will pay you back. That's right. I was no, thanks. Let's, see what, let's see what the old money, let's see what the money line's at there. You did, uh, if, if you're not watching Next Level every week, Wednesday nights at seven on VSN, you're missing out on gems like Nathan and Nick both making me realize that Bo Nix is the starter and Jaron Hall is the starter at BYU. And that I basically picked Bo Nix over Jaron Hall. And you can see my visible uh, uh, fear on you, camera. You looked upset. Yeah. <laughs> you look like you saw like <laughs> you're, you're a ghost of an ex. It was uh, a light the bulb. Of, it was a light bulb above my head, but a, like a scary one. Uh, the line for that game is bounced between uh, uh, point five or like Oregon by half a point, and then back up to three point five. Yeah, I got so it at DK right now. It's at three and a half. Uh, BYU's plus one fifty five on the money line. Oregon's minus one eighty. So, yeah, I've got. I've got BYU just winning that outright. Like uh, pretty yeah. simple. Plus um, let's uh we're we've hit the hour mark. So let's uh hit our predictions and we can get out of here uh relatively soon. Uh because you know your boy's tired. Um so to recap, Howard, uh last week uh we all picked USF to win, so we were all right there. I I was uh, the closest to the score. I picked USF to win forty nine to fourteen. Uh, they they won forty two twenty, so not terrible um, in that regard. Actually, no, excuse me. Uh, Seth and I tied. We were both within thirteen points, um, mm-hmm. so that was pretty good. Uh, Seth had picked fifty five thirteen. Steak had picked fifty nine ten. So pretty much all in the same ballpark realm uh, of possibilities there for Florida. Uh, Steak, let's go with you. Give me your score. Give me your prediction for the for the evening. Uh, I so last night I gave a um, a, a pessimistic uh, look out on this. You know, I, I don't think anyone in the in their right mind is going to pick us at this game, um, and that trend is probably going to continue. I, I just think Florida is looking at this game as their get right opportunity, and they're desperately in needing of it. And Billy Napier. Although, you know, two games into his tenure is needing that, you know, quick, hey, you're a lot better than this team. Just win it and get it out of hand early and let everyone go home, you know, at a reasonable hour or let all the fans go home at a reasonable hour. I don't think any Florida fans or any boosters want to, you know, to sit in the swamp until late in the fourth quarter just to win by you know, 10 or 12 or whatever it is. Or journal. So we don't want to sit there late. We don't want to sit there late. Yeah. So in saying that I'm, I'm really, really pessimistic. I, I joked with Seth that I think that there's a chance that USF can backdoor cover this. Um, but upon thinking about it and just really, you know, digging into this new Stieg, this new negative Stieg, I'm really pessimistic. I think it's going to be like 59, 13. Like I, I think Florida's really going to run with, run away with it, you know, put it out of hand by maybe, Midway through the second, um, yeah, not 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 thrilled. Steak fifty nine thirteen Florida. Oof. Wow! Congratulations USF, you have broken Robert Steak. He's not even <laughs> doing a bit. Thing. He's not even doing a bit I, anymore. 
I told Seth, I still think they can get to a bowl game. Yeah, I don't. These, to me, these first these first four games are kind of it's one and three, and it's going to be one and three. So it doesn't matter how we get everyone, through. Everyone, everyone knew that it was they were going to be one and three. There were some people that thought you know maybe we had a chance to upset BYU, but I think everyone looked at that Florida game and said, "Hey, we're going to probably lose that bad. Let's just have some fun." Hey, here's that chance. Let's lose that game. Let's have some fun. <laughs> Seth, uh, you probably know more about both teams than uh, likely anyone who's not actually coaching in the game on Saturday. Um, what's your prediction for uh, for this game? All right, so I just saw an interesting stat just looking at Twitter. Uh, USF's given up 482 yards rushing in two games, 127th in the country. Uh, I think Florida's going to run the ball. This could be an under game maybe because uh, I, I think Florida's going to run the ball a lot and often. But I would think it's going to be something like, let's go with like 45 to 17, something like that. 45, 17. I I, I do think there is, if Florida doesn't, you know, pull away by a ton, there is a backdoor possibility because I don't know if we talked about on the pod, there's a definitely a, uh, I don't know how tight it is, but there's definitely a pre-existing relationship between Billy Napier and Jeff Scott and the Scott family. Yep. So um, I don't know if Napier, if he gets up by a ton, is going to try to bury USF. Now, he's already been fired as o- offensive coordinator by uh, 35% of the Florida fan base. So maybe, maybe he wants to put those points up so he can retain his job there. But And also, Billy Napier was also fired by what turns out to be like Jeff's demigod. Uh, in Dabo Sweeney. So there's also that to really <laughs> stick it to, to Dabo. Allegedly, 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 I say allegedly three times. Rumor is that Napier punched Dabo in the face after a game because he changed a call. That's a rumor. That's a, that's a juicy rumor. <laughs> that's the a rumor. Rumors are swirling on the Daily Stampede tonight. That's a, that's a, that's a vicious rumor. It's probably false, but that is something that was making the rounds when Napier got hired at Florida, that he punched Dabo in the face, and that's one of the reasons he got well, fired. But I, um, I, I bet a lot of people are uh, feel like uh, Catherine Hahn and stepbrothers after uh, John C. Riley punches the brother in the face. It might be like airplane <laughs> when they're all lining up to shake the lady out of it. It might be, <laughs> it might be more like that. There's just a line of people waiting. A guy with a mace. <laughs> so. Now that's a current reference. Oh man, that is that's fantastic. Steve, you've never seen Airplane? Nope. Wow, really? We've Man, been over. That's my, right my up. Lagos that would be right up your alley. Well, that's right. Oh, that, yeah. See, yes. that's right up your alley. That's why I would think you would watch it. It is. Um, that's why I didn't laugh when I would say, like, I picked the wrong day to stop sniffing glue and stuff like that. You don't understand the reference. No, no. Steak has for like four years just thought you had a glue sniffing problem, <laughs> and, and I was really I kept, I kept trying thing. to quit. Yeah, <laughs> you I came kept. out of nowhere to walk into the Daily Stampede with all of your knowledge. At this point, I don't, I don't, I, you could have been arrested for for like arson, and I would probably believe it. I appreciate you said arson and not something much worse. <laughs> I want you to keep your job at least. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, uh, where's it going with the Carson? Okay, I mean, that's, that's fine. That's a crime of passion. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so but you need turn. to watch Airplane See, Yeah, you do. You'll, you'll, you'll enjoy it. And if anybody in here has not seen Airplane, rectify that. All right, so it's, it's down to me, huh? 
55-21 Florida. Um, I think I think USF can they'll be able to move the ball a little bit offensively. I think once the the backups kind of get in, they you know, at least Florida's backups, I think this may be honestly, this may be the game where Jeff Scott actually pulls Gary if it gets out of hand, just to give Trey Marsh some reps because he hasn't thrown the ball yet this season in a, a football game. He he looked beautiful handing the ball off versus Howard on Saturday, but needs to get some game reps. Um, so that that could be a spot where maybe the offense actually you know sputters out. I'm thinking at least one special teams touchdown because why not? I think they're they're good for at least one every like four games. Um, so why not why not use one up here now? Um, and yeah, I just, I don't think USF's all defense is going to be good enough to stop a nosebleed. It, yeah, that's to me, that's kind of the big, the biggest issue here. I think the offense can be competitive with Bohannon at quarterback, maybe, um, and some of the skill guys they've got, but yeah, defensively, it's going to be tough, I think, because all yeah. Florida just wants to run. So you're going to have to load up to stop him. Yeah. And I don't know if that'll be enough, but. Yeah, and see, for the have you most seen Nick part, again? He's not even listening. So. Sorry, I got distracted by a Nick Adams tweet. What happened? Have you seen Naked Gun? No. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. Yeah. Um, oh my. There's there's the a lot of movies on my uh, on my to watch list. Oh no! <laughs> no <I'm kidding. laughs> I, was, I legitimately thought my uh, my internet kicked there. Yes, no, so I was like, oh wow, it's it's not me this time. <laughs> I had to, I had to, I had to beat you on principle. But you're back. <laughs> um. So yeah. Okay, so I think... interesting, interesting inquiry there. Did we get a pass? Who gets a first passing touchdown? Does Does USF oh. get a passing touchdown before? Who gets it first, Anthony Rich? Because I mean, Florida's going to run the ball a lot. USF is probably going to have to pass the ball a lot. I'm counting on at least one busted coverage on like a just a, a simple post route that just gets housed for 80. With a little, think, temp, little tempo, a little motion. Yep. Could be. I think USF might score the first passing touchdown just because I think they're probably going to throw like a gimmicky, like weird play out that like the pop pass and Jimmy Horn kind of situation where Trickett does like to get creative. So there's a possibility there. Um, but I just, I also think that just, I mean, Florida's not going to have to do too much on offense in order to put up the points to win this game. But they, if, if they're rolling, they might want to get him some confidence. Cause he was, I don't know if you saw him uh, Richardson after the game, but he was basically like, I blew it. That's all my fault. I lost my confidence. Like he was like, uh, really, I don't, and I, I didn't hear the presser. So I don't know if they were leading questions. Like, did you lose your confidence? The guys are like, Oh yeah, I did. <laughs> so always, always listen for the questions. Cause some of these, some of these guys like to lead people into uh bad narratives, but, uh, but he was kind of like, it was all my fault. And he was really down on himself. So they might try to get him right. At least mentally. So, yeah, this we'll is, this see. is, Got get right game all over it. Uh, Utah used uh, Southern Utah last week as their get right game. <laughs> I think Florida uses USF for a get right game because they they welcome in. Uh, they go on the road to Tennessee. They, they go on the road. They go on the road to Tennessee next week, and Tennessee looks legit. Um, you know that second half kind of was a little wonky for them, but they beat a, a fairly okay, decently talented Pitt team on the uh, 
on right. Saturday. Uh, so we'll, we'll see uh, how that how that goes. Um, our first touchdown pass will be the Philly special. So hey, man, if Chris Carter's the one throwing it, I'm here for it. Give me all the points. Oh, no, yeah, okay. Chris Carter, that. Xavier Weaver, let's go. <laughs> uh, Lordy. <laughs> well, all right. Um, last question. We're gonna get out of here. I just need a simple yes or no. Steak, will Gary Bohannon have five or more designed rushes on Saturday? No. Seth. No, I think it's a conference thing. Yep. I agree with that. Saving your best plays for games you can win. Two and six conference slate. Perfect. Uh, (laughs) No. Uh, I. uh, No, I don't think so either. I. I don't know if it's even in the playbook anymore. I'll be honest. Um, I think I think they'll break him out because he's. I think the, the limited the one. I think he had one against BYU. He looked pretty good running the ball. Like yeah. that needs to be part of the offense. If it's not, there's issues. But that needs to be part of it because that makes everything harder to defend. Yep. All right, let's get out of here. Uh, for Seth, for Steak, I'm Nathan Bond. Thanks for tuning in, listening to another edition of the Bluminati Podcast. Make sure you download, subscribe, like, heart, favorite, re- retweet, read all we do. Uh, Stampede SBN on Twitter, uh, the Daily Stampede. Uh, things like for USF fans on Facebook or something like that. Just type in the Daily Stampede. Uh, you can find the podcast on Spotify, uh, Apple Podcasts, uh, SoundCloud. Check out my SoundCloud. Uh, anything else where you can get your podcasts. Uh, appreciate you guys. Be sure to tune in to the film room on Wednesday. Seth and I will break down the Howard game. Go Bulls. Go Bulls. Oh, fuck. Go Bulls. Watch Airplane and Naked Gun.